Well, thank you, Tyler. So first off, kids, you can be go if they're still in here. Or you think you're a kid. I don't know what you can go to. I feel like I'm doing a, a wedding in a barn, <coughs> which is kind of cool. So uh, first off, I, I just want to say a big thank you. We did our race in place yesterday for our New Hope Children's Home in Peru. Uh, and um, they, so they need money for their monthly food endeavors and little um, Cassandra, who's down there, who has a cleft palate they just got in and they didn't know what to do. The youth um, themselves raised over $600 yesterday for the race in place, but as a church, we've raised over 30000 for them. So um, when I talked to uh, Tony and Julie down there this week, they were, um, because of little Cassandra, they usually don't take kids with uh, physical issues into the home because they don't have the ability to care for them. And they said, when, when you told us what the all raised, they just started crying. Because they're like, we didn't know what to do. Like, we had this kid we knew we were supposed to take in, and now, like, God provided, and we know what to do now. So, so thank you, and, and they wanted me to thank you, too, because they said she's a joy. They said she, with even her cleft mouth, she smiles, she laughs. All the staff um, are, are fighting to hold her that day and take care of her. <laughs> so it's a wonderful thing going on down there, and I thank you for your support of that. So... This morning, we're going to talk about being prepared and preparations, and as a whole, I'm the type of guy that likes to be prepared. I, I, I don't like surprises. I mean, I like the, hey, happy birthday surprise. That's okay. But the, hey, surprise, you're out of, ask, you're out of gas, Dad. I don't like that. Um, I want to be prepared, and when I was working in the corporate world, I tell my employees when we're on client sites, I better hear it from you than the before the client. I don't want to be surprised in that way. I want to know things. But even under the best circumstances, we get surprised. We can't always be prepared, which I think we all learned last year when we all became preppers, right? In the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Y'all remember that? No one saw that one coming, but it happens. No matter how much we prepare, we're always surprised. And there's a few things we do prepare for, and I, I look these up, mainly around our finances. We prepare for retirement, college funds, um, big purchases, but there's also things we don't prepare for. And those are things like um, the, the top five are like the death of a parent. That's something we really don't prepare for. Catastrophic events in our lives. Uh, living in chronic pain, we don't prepare for, which I don't know how you do that. We don't prepare for large economic challenges or changes or shifts. And we don't prepare for keeping friendships, which is an interesting one that popped up. But then I thought, you know, we live in Crested Butte, so we have our own unique preparations, don't we? I mean, because we're Crested Butte. So first off, we prepare for winter, don't we? I mean, we put our snow tires on. We put our poles in our driveway so we can actually see our driveway in winter. We do that. Take screen doors off and screens off and cover trees up. We prepare for summer by just undoing all that, don't we? And then we also keep coats in our back of our car, don't we? Because we don't know what summer's going to bring. But we also prepare for events. We have costume boxes that we can pull out anytime there's a fun event to dress up for. I have it on good word that... Uh, Tyler and Jana Hansen have an inordinate amount of tutus in theirs, but you can take it up with him. But also, too, we prepare for a concert, so we keep lawn chairs and blankets in the back of our car. And also, if we're flying in and out of gunning, we prepare to not fly in and out of gunning, don't we? Yeah. Someone's here this morning that got delayed <laughs> or canceled. Um, and also, too, we have a specific preparations of, of a time and a path we're going to take to go check the mail during the middle of summer, don't we? Because I have to say, I've got this nice Garmin watch here that I can track my heart rate 
and I was looking through some bike rides, and the worst I was getting is about 146 beats per minute. And then I found this one day, it was a Thursday afternoon, like, it was like 156, 159. I was like, what is that? And I was like, I know we had staff meeting, but, you know, that's pretty boring. And like, what is that? Then I'm like, what did I do afterwards? Oh, I went and checked the mail. Just driving down Elk. <laughs> Heart rate went up. But that's what we prepare for. And, you know, when we make all these preparations in our life, what are we doing to prepare for our kingdom living? How are we preparing for those heartfelt, deep, soul-oriented things that are going on in our lives? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. After Scott took us back to our Headwater series last week and we looked at Bible study, we're going to finish up chapter 1 this morning in our foundation series as we look at the church in the book of Acts. And in chapter 1, we have a lot going on here. There's a lot of moving parts but that get overlooked because we want to get to chapter 2. But as we wrap this up, In chapter 1, I want to kind of set the scene for you. So this is where Jesus had just ascended into heaven. The disciples were kind of left alone. Angels came and said, y'all need to kind of get busy, go get to work. So they headed back to Jerusalem, and they met with a huge crowd of about 120 different people, disciples, other um, people in their group, uh, many prominent women, uh, Mary, Jesus' mom, and some of his brothers, and they started to pray. And what we specifically see in this moment is a preparation scene. They're preparing for what's about to come. Now, if you watch a lot of movies and you watch a lot of action movies like I do, you probably know this scene. It's that scene where someone's about to go into battle, the hero, the heroine, and they start gearing up. You know, if it's a knight, they start putting on their their armor and they're doing close-up shots. They're sharpening their sword. They're getting their guns ready or like their knives ready or their house or their car. They're getting ready for what's about to happen, the battle they're about to face. And that's what we're seeing here in this scene in chapter 1. Because in chapter 2, they're going to go to Pentecost. They're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and forever change the life of the church. Jesus is going to start building the church on the back of these disciples and what happens in this moment of prayer. So we're going to dig into this a little better and see what not only what's going on in this scene, but also what can we learn as followers of Christ in our own lives as we prepare to live a life like Christ on this earth. So the first area of preparation we see in this passage revolves around the preparation through prayer, or the power of prayer. And as we see with the disciples, this is in verse 12 through 14. And from this uh, passage, we see the disciples, like we said, Mary, Jesus' brothers, other women, and about 120 people in all come together in one accord and devote themselves to prayer. Now, it's important that we kind of understand this and understand what exactly is going on here. Because, first off, we talk about prayer a lot. It's kind of a core discipline in our lives here at the church. It's important to us, and it's something we talk a lot about, but we can probably never talk about enough. So it's important to understand this aspect of prayer because it's foundational in our lives. And from the perspective of Acts, prayer is mentioned 31 times over 20 chapters in Acts. It's a foundational element of that early church and what was going on in that church and something we should be taking with us in today's church. Now, secondly, the statement of prayer is seen as, is, can be looked at like a prevailing prayer is what it's kind of referred to. It's a prayer that you pray until something happens. And that's what they're doing here. They're praying until something happens. It's praying without giving up until the answer comes. And this is similar to what Paul states in Romans 12, 12, where he states, Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, 
Be constant in prayer. Be prevailing. Be persistent in prayer. He says something similar in Colossians 4.2, where he says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Persistence. Prevailing. Pray till something happens. Which asks the question of how much do we really lean into prayer? How much are we really praying until something happens or we think something should happen? I would say we have enough faith when I stop praying and just do it on my own. That's when my faith stops. But this is that prevailing prayer, praying until something happens. And so we also have to understand this is a type of praying that would be associated with spiritual warfare. And if we go over to Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about the armor of God, He goes through uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes of the gospel, helmet of salvation, shield of faith, and then the sword of the spirit. And after he says that, in verse 18, he immediately says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. All that armor is held together through what? Prayer. Prayer. That's what we're talking about. It's held together through prayer. That's the foundational element of what is happening here and what's going on here. And it's, it's, it's important to understand because the, peop, the 120 people in this room, they are about to go into battle. They're about to go head-to-head with the devil for the souls of the earth. And they're dramatically going to change what happens on the earth and start a revolution that we're still experiencing today. So they didn't take that lightly. They went into it with the right preparation, and that started with prayer. And, so, and that's what we need to understand last about this passage, is that anything good, the foundation of it, is going to be prayer. It's going to start with prayer. Sorry, it's printed out on that really thick bulletin stuff, so I'm, i got really thick pages up here. But what you should see is, is everything starts with prayer, and nothing good or righteous or worthwhile is going to begin or thrive or flourish without prayer. And that's the basis of what we're seeing here. Matthew Henry, the the theologian and scholar, stated that when God wants to do something special in the world, he first gets his people to start praying. Similarly, author Matthew, who is a missionary, said the spiritual history of a mission or church is written in its prayer life. It all begins with prayer. So if we're going to be preparing our hearts, souls, and minds for what Christ is doing in our lives, is doing in the church, it's in doing in this specific church, it's going to start with prayer. Secondly, we see in this uh, passage here in verses 15 through 20 that there's preparation in pain. And specifically here, Peter's talking about betrayal from Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Now in this passage, we see where the disciples are attempting to replace Judas with someone else. And there's a lot going on in this section, but it's a powerful moment in the lives of the disciples and the history of the church. And so we want to look into Peter's words and what he specifically does here so we can understand what that means for our lives. Because unfortunately, all of us have probably been betrayed by someone. I mean, we probably all know someone we loved, cared for, would have done anything for, that stabbed us in the back and went about their way. It's unfortunately, we're selfish individuals. We're all about ourselves when it comes down to it. And so we make those selfish decisions regardless of who they hurt. So even with our own betrayals, we have to realize that Jesus faced the same type of betrayal, or even worse, from Judas. A synonym, a synonym for, Judas, for betrayal, when I looked it up, is actually Judas' kiss. That's actually in the, the, the logicon of, of wording, is that Judas' kiss is so prevalent that it becomes associated with betrayal. 
So we have to understand that Jesus was betrayed, but we also have to understand that the disciples would have felt betrayed as well. And that's something we don't talk a lot about. But they were there. They spent three years living with this man, Judas, eating with him, talking with him, praying with him, serving with him. And this is the same man that turned Jesus over to the authorities. Something that, that would have, they would have had to have dealt with. They would have to have kind of walked through appropriately and dealt with appropriately. But it wasn't just Jesus and the disciples. We can see where Paul was kind of betrayed as well. In 2 Timothy 4.10, where he talks about Demas had left him and gone on to Thessalonica. A betrayal is something that happened to Jesus, happened to Peter, the disciples, and Paul. It's going to happen to us. So this is why we need to look at what Peter does here, because it's, it's something that's fairly amazing and, and can't be overlooked. Because first in verse 16, he stated that Scripture needed to be fulfilled. So he goes to Scripture. Secondly, in verse 17, he acknowledged that Judas was numbered among the disciples and states from Scripture that someone should take his place, which is out of Psalm 69 and Psalms 109. He acknowledges the pain and hurt of him leaving and what he did. Third, Peter lays down some guidelines of the pool of the individual that they will replace him with. And then lastly, which we'll look at in a little bit here, he prayed for their hearts and what they were and the purity of them. So Peter, what he's doing here, and this is what we can take away from it, is he's acknowledging the pain. What Judas did hurt, but he's also looking at the sovereignty of God. What was God doing through this? How was God moving through it? What was he doing? How can I look at it from the standpoint of what God was doing in this moment and the purpose behind it? Because too many times when we're in pain, we focus, we pinpoint on the pain itself, the betrayal. And it's a common, you know, in what we do, just because that's the focus. And we don't take a step back to see what is happening, big picture-wise, within the pain. And that's what Peter's talking about here, is looking at the sovereignty of God. Now, I get that's not easy. Don't get me wrong. Like, hey, come on, just take a look at the big picture. I know when I was in my late 20s, I was about two years into my chronic pain. And I remember vividly, this woman from our church came up to me, well-meaning, and goes, have you thought about thanking God for the pain? And as I contemplated that, I really wanted to punch her. Because <laughs> you have no idea what I'm suffering right now. You have no idea what I'm going through. But that's because I was pinpointed focused on the pain. I wasn't taking a bigger look at what God was doing, what he was going to do, how he was going to use that pain for his purpose. And that's what Peter's talking about here. It's not about us. It's about him and working for him. And this is what we need to look at. So if Jesus, who was betrayed, and that betrayal actually has its own name in Judas' kiss, how should we attempt to look at those pains in our lives? Because maybe, just maybe, God is trying to do something amazing through us in our pain and our betrayals. So lastly, what we see in this movement here, in this passage, is the, the preparation for our preferences. Or specifically in this passage, it's around the decision itself to replace Judas. And in this verse, this is verse uh, 21 through 26. And it says, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with our witness to the resurrection. So basically, someone who's kind of been walking with us the whole time. That's who we're looking for. That's one of the qualifications. So they put forward to Joseph Barsabbas, who is also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, the hearts of all men, and the hearts of all, show which one of these you two you have chosen 
to take the place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven. So that's the decision-making process, which we're going to look at this morning, because they didn't take it lightly. And there's a lot in this passage I think we can unwrap when our own decision-making and what were the choices we're trying to make in our lives. So the, the first thing we see here in verse 20 um, is the use of Scripture. And this is something we don't do enough of. There's a tremendous amount of knowledge, information, and guidance in the Scripture. And if you think about it, for them, that's all they had. They had the Old Testament, and they had from memory what Jesus spoke. Now we've got like a billion websites we can go to and find anything we want. Then we're like, oh, hey, I'll go check out the Bible. Instead of going to the Bible first. And those big decisions, those big overwhelming decisions in life, using Scripture, the God-ordained Word of God, in order to help guide us along in those, those passages and those understanding of what steps we should take next. The second step we can see here from this passage is, is pointing to the decision of God's will and not our own in verse 24. And this has a lot to do with humility. Now, when making a decision, it's very easy to state that we know what to do best. I know my own life. I can make the best decisions for me. But what about the best decisions for God's kingdom and not our kingdom? This is probably a reflection of what um, the disciples may have heard or they reflected upon when Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. When Jesus, reflecting upon the cross, says, take this cup from me, but not what I want to do, what you want to do. And whether you're a church leader, business leader, family leader, we all want to make the right decisions. And it's easy to do what we think is best. I do it a lot, and I fail miserably. Because most of the time, we're making decisions based upon the information the world gives us, and not the information that God gives us. And making that godly kingdom-level decision in our lives, because we haven't prepared ourselves for that type of information or what's coming. And this is where humility, which is extremely important, begins to show up. Because it's through humility in our own spirit and trust to obey Christ that the maturity to obey his will begins to show. That we can say, not my will, but your will be done. They had a couple of people identified here, and they went through the right process, and they went, God, it's up to you. Who do you want us to choose? So the third step we can take from this, as we can see it over and over again, is that prayer is critical. It's a necessary critical part of the decision strategy in your life. And this is again in verse 24. And mainly because this is a pattern I guarantee they learned from Jesus. Because there's this great scene in Luke 6 where it states that in these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. All night. All night. It was a long time. All night he prayed to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. So before Jesus chose the twelve, which I have to think he knew who he was going to choose, he's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But that didn't stop him from going all night out to the mountain to pray. How much do we even pray for our little decisions? How willing are we to go all night in prayer for those big decisions? Man, I need to be praying for weeks if Jesus spent all night. But it's that prayer is critical and often over-missed. We kind of do the obligatory prayer, oh, let's pray about it, and then we go do what we want. But that deep, on your knees, get into prayer, waiting till something happens for that decision. 
That's what we see here with the disciples. Now, the last part of the decision-making process is confirming a person's heart that we see in verse 24. And this part's important because how well do you really know a person's heart? It's hard to ask that question, too. If I came up to you after the service, I'm like, hey, man, how's your heart? Like, what's going on in the depths of your soul? You'd be like, I'm good, man. Just get away. I'm going to leave now. We don't want to discuss that. We don't want to talk about it. So it's hard to find out what's going on in the depths of someone's soul. But that's what they're looking for when they were choosing Matthias. Lord, you know their heart. You choose them for us. And this, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to raising up leaders, finding a youth pastor in this church, this is important for us. It's a critical way of trying to figure out, are they humble enough to receive criticism, to grow, to find direction? Because that comes with that humility. And that comes with that, un, that, that ability to, to have your heart exposed. Because if you look at 1 Timothy 3, where it's kind of like the guidelines of ministry or what they should say, there's only one ministerial trait in there. And that's, are they able to teach? Almost everything Paul talks about there has to do with character and the attitude of the heart. That's why it's important that we look into that. And we peer into that. And that's why we need to go to prayer to start that process. And to understand this better, I'm going to pick on our uh, intern, Susanna, since she's not in this service. Um, she's our youth intern for the summer. And I knew, like, over this summer I needed help with the youth program because all our interns were going to be dispersed. And so we got this, and I, I didn't know where to look. I didn't know who we were going to have. And we got this random message on our phone at the church, this girl who was um, going to be here this summer, she was a college student, and she wanted to help out with youth. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, man, i got to do like a full vetting process on this person. I know nothing about him, except that she went to Baylor University, which is where I went, and probably the only reason I called her back. <laughs> so, so I set up a call. Uh, we got on Zoom, and I'm trying to, like, ask those questions, you know, because these are our youth. I love our youth. I want to protect our youth. If you're coming in, you better be, treat them well. And so I'm asking the questions. I'm trying to find out her heart. I'm trying to find out what's going on with her, and she's answering the questions, you know, but it's like, all I'm getting is like, okay, she's probably not an axe murderer, um, she probably isn't doing anything nefarious, but I don't really know her heart, because those are tough questions to ask. But this is kind of where things started to turn, is because just as a side, this is right after Baylor won the Men's National Basketball Championship, and so I knew they had a parade on campus early in the week, and so just as we were ending our conversation, I said, hey, did you go to the parade, you know, the victory parade? And almost apologetically, she goes, no, there was a revival on campus, and I went to that. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> because, you know, a, a victory parade for a national championship, that's cool. I mean, that's good. I mean, not many college students get that opportunity. But instead of choosing good, she chose great. And I actually got to see some of those pictures of that revival. Man, for me, there's nothing cooler than young people worshiping God. I mean, it gives me chill bumps every time I see it or talk about it. But that's that attitude of the heart. What choices are you making? What are you doing? Are you choosing great over good instead of what the world has and what they have to offer? And that's where we need to look into our own lives and ask ourselves and the decisions that we make. Are we choosing good? Are we choosing great? Even though it might mean sacrificing something good. Because those were the disciples. That's where they're at. They're trying to find something great instead of just settling for something good. And that comes with an attitude of the heart. So as we wrap this up, the thing I want to kind of wrap around all these points in this passage 
And we talk about prayer, when we talk about going through pain, and we talk about, you know, attitude of the heart and our decision-making, what we see here and what we see through Acts is this was not done in a silo. They prayed together. They went through the pain of betrayal together. They made the decision together. In our isolated, it's all about me or I can do it myself attitude, this is something we miss. If you had a problem and you had 120 people to take it to, wow, now that's a prayer. That's praying till something happens. This is something we see all throughout Acts, and it's kind of the sublayer foundation that I want to make sure you understand because we were meant to fellowship together, to pray together, to act together, to love together, to live together, and to laugh together. And especially after a year of quarantine, I think we've all seen how much we need this and how important it is in our lives. And so when you think about prayer, who are you going to pray with? When you think about pain, who are you going to share that with? When you think about decision-making, who's your fellowship that you're going to bring that to for Scripture, prayer, and studying the heart? There's this great Swedish proverb that says, shared joy is double joy, and shared sorrow is half sorrow. And that's so true as we share our lives together, regardless of what we're going through. So my challenge for you this morning is around preparing for God's kingdom. With all the preparations we make in life, how can you prepare your heart for not something good, but for something great? Because maybe in your pain, God is trying to do something amazing in your life. Let's pray. Lord God, I just I pray over the people that are here this morning, Lord. I, I pray over our hearts. I pray over our pain. I pray over our decisions that we have in our lives, Lord. That um, even in this moment, we can lay those at your feet. Knowing that something bigger is out there, knowing that something greater is out there for us, Lord. If we just submit ourselves to your authority, Lord, and, and not choose what's best for us, but what's best for your kingdom, God. So just guide us, protect us, shower us with your spirit as we leave this place, and we can do your work in this place or wherever we're going back to, God. We just pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming, and have a blessed week.